Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter, the first chapter. 2 Peter, the first chapter. As we continue our uh, journey through this second epistle. And let me give you a little review because today is such a privileged text for the believer. We are blessed beyond measure with this text today as a Christian. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I will tell you that you can have this wonderful blessing through all your life beginning today if you would but trust the Lord Jesus. After introducing himself and explaining Salvation 101 in the first part of this chapter, Peter launches into uh, the most wonderful text of Scripture. It's a great privilege to, to talk about the assurance that the Christian has. We sure do live in an unsure world, don't we? Everything seems to be uh, uh, collapsing. Uh, let me give you some advice. Don't look at your 401k uh, and ride your bicycle more if you have one seems like a lot's falling apart, but those are the things that we do not rely on, especially for our salvation. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, Peter teaches us that assurance of salvation is key to doing what he is calling upon us to do in this second epistle, and that is to bear the truth of the Word of God the truth of, of the gospel, the truth of the Word of God, the Bible, during trying times when it will be socially awkward, which it is and has been in our culture, and go from there to being socially a pariah, which it is quickly coming, and then one day even legislatively illegal to even believe these things. You've heard of the thought police? Well, they're alive and well. But uh, how to bear truth. You need to know for certain that heaven is your home and you know Jesus and He knows you and you are accepted by God in Christ, washed in the blood, cleansed in a relationship with Him and walking in fellowship with Him, the assurance of salvation. And it is indeed key for the abundant life as well in Christ. 
And so thus far as we have looked into this text, we're in the third message from these verses 5 through 11. We looked at the source of assurance a couple of weeks ago and we saw that it is the doctrines that God gives us in the Bible, His promises, His precious promises as Peter calls them in verse 5. What we believe, what the Scriptures teach us. And then last week we looked at the supply of assurance and that's our diligence, what we need to do to maintain and possess the assurance of salvation. It doesn't come automatically. Hallelujah, I'm saved and I'll never doubt it. That's not how it happens. There's some things you need to diligently do and continue to do. And we talked about that last week. And I hope if you weren't here, you'd go back and listen uh, to that message. But today we consider the great benefit of it, the sweetness of it of assurance. Isn't it sweet to know you're saved? Isn't it sweet to know that heaven is your home and your sins are forgiven and you are indwelt by the God of all creation and the God of our redemption and filled and walking in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to focus on the sweetness of assurance today, the incentives for being diligent And those virtues we talked about and we'll read about here, uh, to gain and live the blessed assurance. The hymn writer got it right. He said it's a blessed assurance. It's not just assurance. It's a blessed assurance. You know, there's just some things that are just blessed, amen, beyond measure. Well, let's read verse 5. And beside this, he just talked about our saving grace of God. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you, And abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, what things? Add to your faith those virtues. You shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For if these things in you abound, what things? The virtues, the qualities, temperance, or or faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. If those things in you abound, he says, uh, you will 
have a sweet, abiding assurance. And that's what you want. That's what you want. Because the assurance of salvation, I promise you, is sweet. Why is it so sweet to know that you're saved? You know, we ask the question, are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I, I have had wonderful people tell me that that question troubles them and bothers them, and, and um, they wish that I wouldn't ask it. But I keep asking it because it is a biblically-based question, and it is sweet to know that beyond any doubt whatsoever, uh, you will be in heaven when you die. Isn't that wonderful? Or to know that whatever you face in this life, you have the very presence of God in you, seeing you through, and you have all of His promises. It's sweet to know. Let's talk about just how sweet it is. First of all, the assurance of salvation, according to this text, is sweet because of the evidence of salvation. Look at verse 8. He says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. The Bible says here that if you are diligently furnishing your faith with these things, conscientiously making the effort in the power of the Holy Spirit to practice these virtues, that you're, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word barren is the word that means idle. And it goes without saying that if you are diligently pursuing these things, if you are pursuing virtue and knowledge and temperance and and godliness and patience and brotherly kindness and love, uh, if you are diligently pursuing these things, you will not be idle. You, you, do, you do not do any of these things on accident. It takes effort. You don't have self-control on accident. You don't. You don't practice brotherly kindness on accident. You don't love somebody on accident. If you think you do, look at your wife right now and say, Honey, I love you on accident. And see how that goes for you. God didn't love us on accident, did He? He didn't love us on accident. And we don't love others on accident. If you will pursue these things... In the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you will achieve these things. But if you will pursue these things, you will not be idle. It, you can't do it in a lazy way. You, you, you cannot. I, I think that's, and, and I told you last week and I want to say it again, I think one of the main reasons Christian people lack assurance of their salvation is they are spiritually lazy. They are not doing what it takes to grasp the assurance of salvation. Now, I didn't say grasp out salvation. Remember, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the assurance of it. There's two different things. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works. 
But the assurance of salvation is the gift of God that takes some work. I just read it to you, the work you have to do. And so uh, this word barren means to be idle. So you will not be idle if you uh, are pursuing these things. So it is the evidence of your salvation. Notice you will not be unfruitful. Unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. Your diligence will produce fruit in terms of knowledge. Now, this is educational knowledge. You will know more of Christ because as you pursue these things, you will want to be in the Word of God because it is the Word of God that renews your mind and gets your thinking suitable to these virtues that Peter talks about. So it's educational. You're going to know more about Jesus from His Word. But not only is it educational knowledge, it's also experiential knowledge. You will experience the work of Christ in you as you pursue these things. You will have a greater knowledge of His work in you, His experiential, day-to-day work in your life. And so the assurance is sweet because it it goes hand-in-hand with the evidence of your salvation. Now notice though, we're not talking about, we're talking about the evidence of your salvation, not the entrance of your salvation. I have to say that again. You enter salvation by the grace of God. You will see, however, when you diligently pursue these things, you will see the evidence of Christ in you. Now back in 1 Peter, we spent some time in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3. And we uh, preached a sub-series of messages in that larger series of 1 Peter on how shall we then live. And we talked about what, how to live when you have a bad boss at work. Talked about how to live when, when your spouse is unsaved and not sensitive to the Christian faith. We talked about in this world when the, when the government comes against you as a Christian and against the church... How shall you live? What shall you do? And we we preached about four or five sermons from that on down the line. And that tells us that that's how other people are assured that we're saved. That other people are assured that we're saved. But this text is talking about how you can know that you are saved. The evidence of your own salvation. And so the assurance of salvation is sweet because of the evidence that it is. Don't be lazy, dear friend. Don't be lackadaisical and idle in terms of furnishing your faith with these virtues. Work out your own salvation that Christ has put within you and you will have assurance and it will be sweet, the sweet evidence of salvation. But verse 9 shows us another reason assurance of salvation is so sweet. But he that lacks these things is blind. He's blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Well, the one who lacks these virtues, let me read them again. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, self-control, patience. Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, who's not producing those things.
things, striving for those things, yielding to the Lord in those things. The Bible says he's blind. Now, the particular word has a qualification with it. When it says blind, it means, it means he is nearsighted, and he cannot see afar off. Uh, they, 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 they cannot see afar off at all. They look back, the Bible says, and they can't see the past far enough to remember that they've been cleansed from their sin. That's the main problem. If you don't have assurance of salvation, you don't know if you've been cleansed from your sin or not. And you can't look back and see that work of God in your life. Nor can you look forward and see God's promises applied to you Day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, all the way to the end of your life. You cannot see back to that change of life when Christ saved you. Nor can you see, look forward and see that He is keeping you saved. You basically just dwell in the present in terms of your salvation. One day you may think it, and the other day, you may not think it. One day, you may struggle with it. And the other day, you may not even consider it. And then you come to hear me preach, and you doubt it all over again. Or somebody looks at you and says, Well, didn't you pray one day and say a few words to God and ask Him to save you? And Didn't you fill out that card that Broadman Holman Publishers gives the church? And then you get baptized. And you say, I sure did. And you walk out of here saying hallelujah about my Monday. You're saying, oh me. You can't see far enough ahead. And you can't see far enough in the back. You are nearsighted. And you dwell in the presence. In the happy times, you're happy. In the sad times, you're sad. Well, that may be you. And I'm not trying to ridicule you or belittle you. I don't want you to live like that. They're blind to the big picture. What God has done, is doing, will do for them. When you are not blind, when you are assured of your salvation, you can be a better servant of the Lord. You can be a better mentor for others. You can help others in the name of Christ. But if not, you're blind and you've forgotten that Christ has purged you from your own sin. Let me illustrate it like this. Two men in Scripture. One of them's name was Jacob. You remember old Jacob? Jacob, to me, is an enigma. I love him in the book of Genesis. But I don't want him visiting in my house. He'd be too hard to deal with. Complicated fellow. All right? Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was given the covenant of Abraham. God said, I'm gonna, everything I promised to Abraham is a promise to you, Jacob, and your descendants forever. But Jacob was a cheater, wasn't he? Uh, would you want him in your house? I mean, he was a cheater. 
He was a liar. He was a supplanter. He was somebody who just couldn't be trusted. He was a conniver. You remember all those things? You say, and really, God, God used him? Well, yeah, he used you, didn't he? <laughs> used me. If he can use me, he can use Jacob. Amen or oh me? Let's not be judgmental to Jacob. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? Really, just half. Just tell a half-truth. You're a liar. Well, anyway, old Jacob went off because he is scared of Esau, his twin brother, stole the birthright, tricked him out of the blessing, tricked his own dad. You remember that in the book of Genesis? Unbelievable. Unbelievable what he did to his dad. And his dad was literally blind. And his brother had a lot of hair on his body, and, and Jacob killed an animal and put it on his wrist, and his daddy felt it and said, Ooh, Esau. And Jacob said, Yes, sir. Unbelievable. He fled, and on the way he met God at Bethel, a place called Bethel, house of God is what it means. And he had an experience with the Lord. Well, he continued on his journey, and he still had a whole lot of Jacob in him, and so he had a he had to meet up with, with um, his mother's brother named Laban. Now look, I may not want Jacob in my house, but I don't want Laban in my neighborhood. All right? Jacob met his match in Laban. Laban lied to him, tricked him. Somehow Laban harnessed and supplanted the supplanter, cheated the cheater, lied to the liar. And kept him around for decades. I mean, it was awful. Uh, look what he, you know, Jacob loved the daughter. Remember that? And on the wedding night, Laban gave him the wrong daughter. I, that's, I don't know, it's just crazy. That's how he was. Well, if God finally settled Jacob down, changed his name to Israel, Jacob became a man of faith. And in the latter years of his life, he had all those sons. And one of those sons, his name was Joseph. And Joseph was his favorite. You know, he grew in the Lord, but we're not perfect, are we? We're never perfect dads. No such thing as a perfect parent. Uh, but um, Jacob showed favoritism toward Joseph. And Joseph was a wonderful boy. He was, he was the compliant child. He was the one that um, Jacob favored. And you know the story, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis at all. His other sons, out of jealousy, sold Joseph into slavery, told Dad that he had died at the hand of a beast. And for 20 years, Jacob lived with that pain that should not been, have been inflicted upon him. Famine came in the land, and his sons had to travel to Egypt. you remember that? They go to Egypt, and what they didn't know was that Joseph was on the throne, second in command. Joseph recognized them immediately. Let me ask you something. If you see that guy from high school that was rotten and mean to you, would you recognize him immediately? 
you sure would. He recognized his brother. His brothers didn't recognize him. I wonder if we forget the people we've hurt. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? But anyway, make a long story short, Joseph, led by the Lord, forgave his brothers and took great steps to restore his brothers into a relationship. But that first meeting, he couldn't do that. He had to see their metal. He had to see where their repentance was. He had to see what was going on with dad back in the desert, back in Canaan. So what Joseph did was he accused them of being spies through Simeon in, in jail. And they said, we're not spies. He said, we have a brother who died. He's not. Joseph said, <laughs> but we have a younger brother. He's back home with dad. His name is Benjamin. Joseph said, well, I tell you what, to prove you're telling the truth, I'm going to keep Simeon right here. I'm going to keep your brother right here in prison. You go back and you get little brother and you bring him back to me. And if you're telling the truth, everything will be well. Remember that? So all his brothers go back to Canaan. Now I'm getting somewhere. I'm getting somewhere. I'm talking about the experiences of life and the assurance of salvation. They go back and they say, Dad, we got a problem. The king in the land, the big boss, Don Corleone, has said, we got to bring Benjamin back or he's going to do something bad. And Jacob threw a fit. Jacob collapsed. Why? Because he was blind. He saw everything and he said, these things are against me. That's the exact quote. Because he did not see the sun on the throne. He saw the famine. He saw that other bunch of sons. He saw losing Benjamin. He forgot to look back on the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and himself. He couldn't see far enough back to remember the promises of God. And he couldn't see far enough in the future all the way down there to Egypt to see Joseph on the throne, how God would bring about his promises. And he had no assurance of his salvation, so to speak. And he said, all these things, all these experiences in life are against me. I'm not happy. I'm sad. Because he was blind. He was blind. The second man I want to talk to you about is old Paul. Paul called to salvation saved in a dramatic, dramatic uh, circumstances. I mean, just unbelievable what happened. You know, people... The circumstances of people's salvation, we're all saved the same way by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But sometimes the circumstances are just remarkable with others. And to me, it's just plain. My parents took me to church. I heard the gospel and was saved. But I'm just as saved as the guy who, you know, 
did drugs for 50 years and wasted away to nothing and went to Angola and got out of Angola and then went to parchment and then got out of parchment and God saved him and it was glorious and all that. Mine was just as glorious as that. Amen? You know, sometimes we doubt our salvation because it wasn't so such a big explosion. But I want to tell you, I love you if that's your testimony, but the greatest testimony is a mom and daddy sitting around with their six, seven, eight-year-old child around a dining room table with an open Bible and saying, Jesus loves you, but you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You know why you disobeyed your dad and smarted off to your mama? Because you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death and you need to be saved because you're going to go to hell if you don't. And you need Jesus in your life. And we love you and we want to tell you the gospel. And a kid gets saved and they call me up and I baptize them. Amen. That's a beautiful testimony to me. But Paul was saved in remarkable circumstances. God called him to preach. They didn't trust him at first. Remember, they didn't trust him so much they had to lower him out of the window in a basket. Now, I've had a lot of people mad at me, but I never had to go through a church window in a basket. Huh? Hope I never will. But uh, Paul, my goodness, traveled, was stoned, was thrown in jail. When Paul went somewhere uh, to preach, he didn't check into the local hotels. He checked into the jails. That's where he was going. He had a tough life, hard. But you know what he said? He said, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. He had assurance of salvation because he diligently, diligently added to his faith these wonderful things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And so he could see he wasn't blind. He could see that everything was for him because he could see far ahead. He even wrote about the crown he was going to receive. Poor old Jacob said, all these things are against me. It's miserable. Paul said, I have fought a good fight, and there awaits for me a crown that God will not only give to me, but to all those who love his appearing. And so when you have the assurance of salvation, folks, the experiences of life are a blessing to you. Regardless of how harsh, you may not feel it at first, but you eventually come around to saying, God is for me. No one can be against me. All these things work together for good. And that's the experience when you have the assurance of salvation based upon the work of Christ and you working your salvation out. But there's a third thing. The assurance of salvation is sweet because of the endurance of confidence. Look at verse 10. He says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, your salvation sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Now remember, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the assurance of salvation. You shall never fall is not a reference to you falling from your salvation or falling from grace. That's another sermon and another text, many other texts. But the Bible 
teaches you will never fall from grace. Your salvation is in the hands of Almighty God. It cannot be taken out. He's promised you that He'd save you, and He did. He promised you eternal life. If He can take it out, He shouldn't have promised you eternal life. So he, it's not talking about falling from grace or your salvation. It's talking about falling from the assurance of your salvation, from lapsing into a life of doubt or even a season of doubt. Once again, we are told to make haste, get it done. Don't dilly-dally. Make your calling and election sure. Construct, fashion, prepare, acquire, bring about, make it sure. Make, that's what that word make means. Something you do on yourself. Salvation is God's alone, but salvation, assurance of salvation requires your input. You are involved in making your calling and election sure. But God has called you unto yourself and chosen you. You were elected. If you possess and continually pursue these virtues, working out your salvation with diligence. The Bible says you will never fall. You will never stumble. Now, he's not saying you won't stumble into sin. But what he's saying is, he says, you won't fall into idleness and unfruitfulness that I talked about a while ago. Peter says, you won't fall into being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. You just got to be enduring and keep on keeping on and you will never fail with that assurance. But then there's another thing. Salvation or assurance of salvation is sweet not only because of the endurance of salvation or the experiences of life. Isn't it nice to know and, and sweet to know that your salvation is intact when you get bad news? the experiences of life. I won't go back, back to that because that's such a real thing. People sometimes doubt their salvation because of what comes upon them in life. And then they don't have any more endurance and they don't have assurance. I might have told you this before, but when I was working on my doctoral dissertation, there was an author that I had read a little book who'd grown up in a tradition of uh, of a church tradition of very of legalism. And he said he was always taught by his parents that, you know, if he um, if his sisters wore makeup or jewelry that they would lose their salvation. And of course all that's ridiculous. Uh, you want to wear makeup and jewelry, go ahead. I'm not, but you can. But uh, and he was very legalistic. That God's going to get you. God's going to judge you. And he said it was very light on grace and the mercy of God. And so he said that uh, in the book he, he wrote about how he overcame it. Well, I wanted to use his testimony as a, as a practical source. And so I had to get some more information. So I, but That was back before the days of um, uh, ready, ready internet and Google wasn't around or anything like that. So I had to get on the phone. And uh, you might remember this. I had to call information. <laughs> remember that? Cole, you remember calling information? Yeah, you do. But anyway, <laughs> had to call information. And uh, 
I found a, a wonderful operator to help me out, and she went the extra mile. She was very kind. And um, we found him. He was up there in Indiana. And so I called him on the phone number I had, and I said, I'm looking for Dr. So-and-so, so-and-so. And she goes, he's my husband. And I said, well, ma'am, if I could, I'd like to talk with him. What about? And I said, well, I'm writing a, a doctoral dissertation, and I want to I ask him a few questions about his book, his little book, his testimony. And she said, I doubt. I doubt he'll talk to you. But I'll try. And she goes, it's going to take a few minutes to get him to the phone. I thought it was because of age or something like that. But it wasn't. He was uh, afflicted with ALS. And he was able to talk. And he came to the phone. And I, I said to him, I said, Brother, um, I, I, I'd like to ask you a few questions. He said, I, I'm through with that. He said, God has abandoned me completely. I'm not even saved anymore. My life is over. I do not know what I've done. And I don't know why, but God has forsaken me and it's over for me. He said, so I ask you to not worry about it. And I said, well, brother, you wrote such a wonderful book about the grace of God and about assurance and overcoming legalism and how the experiences of life, uh, you can be, a, a, you know, I mean, really a Jacob or a Paul like we talked about. And you, I just couldn't convince him. But see, the experiences of life zapped his assurance. It zapped it. And it blinded him. He couldn't see back the grace of God imposed upon him when he was saved, nor could he see far ahead. And I'm not going to judge him because, folks, we don't know what we'd be in that situation. We don't know how. We hadn't been there yet. But I want to tell you, the experiences of life, it's sweet to have the assurance of salvation. And it's sweet to have because it's the evidence of salvation. And it's sweet to have because of the enduring confidence. You keep on pursuing these things. Keep on forcing yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit to show these virtues and manifest these virtues you can. But the last thing is that is sweet. Assurance of salvation is sweet at the end of life. When it comes time to die, like my friend up there in Indiana, who I never met. Next week, we're going to look at Peter when he starts talking about his death. It's one of the most moving texts in all the Scripture. You don't want to miss that. And how Peter had such confidence when, he, when it came time to die. And assurance, But verse 11 uh, says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
He's talking about heaven. And he's talking about your entrance into heaven. Now, he's not talking about whether or not you're going. These people are going. You doubt your salvation today doesn't mean you're not going. just means you doubt it. But he's talking about your entrance into heaven. How are you going to walk in the gate? Let's just get it down to, to simple terms. How are you going to walk in the gate when you get there? Well, you, uh, you don't have to come to the moment of your death lacking assurance. You really don't. You want to experience and know all the confidence of heaven that you're soon to be there when it comes time to die. Paul, in that Roman pit, about to get his, about, about to get his head cut off, said, I have fought a good fight. I have gone after these virtues to manifest Christ in me, submit to him moment by moment. And he said, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, there's a crown waiting for me, a crown of righteousness. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. I fought a good fight. Peter, I can imagine, you know, like I said, next week we're going to talk about where Peter starts talking about his own death and what he wants to do. Can you imagine Peter on his, on, on approaching his death when they're coming to get him? Uh, to, to crucify he and his wife, as, as tradition says. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking? I don't think he's thinking about when he denied the Lord three times. But we do. We think about that. I don't think he's thinking about that. Because that was 30 years prior. He had grown in the Lord a lot. He had pursued these virtues to manifest them and show forth the salvation that's in him. He had written two letters to the local church that we're talking about in 2022. Isn't that amazing? I think old Peter says, bring it on. I'm ready to, I'm going to strut in. Amen. I'm going I'm to I'm fly in. Well, I have talked with dying Christians on both sides of the assurance door. In the one that lacks assurance, it always seems that fear shrouds their faith. And it's very hard and very sad. And it's a melancholy time. In the other, it seems that death, in death their faith has slain all their fears. And it's an incredible experience to be in the room with a saint of God who has the assurance of their salvation and they have lived in such a way that Christ in them has been manifested to others. One goes to heaven as if in a funeral procession. The other goes into heaven as if in a faith parade, throwing candy along the way because we leave with joy in our hearts. And I have watched both pass away. And of course, you see the lost pass away when there's no hope whatsoever and just cliches.
So you don't want to die without the assurance of your salvation. You want to die confident in the Lord, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what you want to do. And it's sweet to have at the end of life. The last thing you want is to not have the assurance of your salvation. And Peter tells us the way you get it, the way you acquire is you be diligent, 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 daily diligent to pray and learn the Word of God. You confess your lack of assurance. Ask God to fill you with His Spirit. Walk one step at a time. Apply these virtues that He talks about in this first chapter. God will help you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The Word of God will teach you. Your brothers and sisters will encourage you. That's why you need a church family. And you live and work out your salvation in a way where I know you're saved so I'm not up there like a bumbling idiot when you die. And you live in a way that deathbed comes and you have time to think about it and you have time to focus on it. You can look up to heaven and say, Oh, come angel band. Come and around me stand and take me home. I'm going to go see my mama and I'm going to go see my daddy and I'm going to see my Lord. And I'm going to see old Jacob and say, Jacob, don't you wish you had taken heed to what Dr. Barnett preached that Sunday? Amen. And you're going to see old Paul and say, Paul, thank you for telling us how we can live in a way where we know all things work together for good. Let me read you a quote, then we'll close. Unless you start closing before I do, then I'm going to keep going. All right, listen to this. Now assurance goes far to set a child of God free. It enables him to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt, a paid debt. The great disease, a healed disease. And the great work, a finished work. And all other business, diseases, debts, and works are then by comparison small. In this way, assurance makes him patient in tribulation. Calm under bereavements, unmoved in sorrow, not afraid of evil tidings, in every condition content, for it gives him a fixedness of heart. It sweetens his bitter cups, it lessens the burden of his crosses, it smooths the rough places over which he travels, and it lightens the valley of the shadow of death. It makes him always feel that he has something solid beneath his feet and something firm under his hands. A sure friend by the way and a sure home at the end. That was J.C. Ryle. Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Folks, quit trying to go back and remember that day in vacation Bible school or remember wherever it was. Was I sincere? That's the big. Was I sincere? Did I really mean it? Did I go down because my friend went down? Quit trying to go back to that. We're not saved because of an event we did. We're saved because of a work Christ does. Is done, is doing, and will do. And 
study the book of 1 John and study it again. Get those passages of Scripture we outlined in, in the little 1 Peter book. You can see them and find them. And study those texts of Scripture and ask God to show you and ask Him to help you be diligent to put forth those virtues that Jesus put in you when He saved you. And then you keep on praying and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you what He'll do. He'll either lead you to the altar to be saved for the first time, or He'll lead you to assurance forever. That's what you do. That's what you do. Well, if you died today, are you 100% certain that you'd go to heaven? Are you certain? Is there an experience in life that's shaking your assurance up, bringing doubt into your life? Keep on being diligent in the Lord. Let's stand for our song of appeal. We want to bow our heads and pray, and we will be giving an appeal for you if you want to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You are bearing guilt. In your heart, there is a pool. There is something, a voice maybe in your heart, a thought, a word coming your way that says you need Jesus. You need to be saved. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. Our family minister and myself will be up here up front, right here on the floor, and we're going to sing a song, and you can come down during that song. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. People love you, and they're praying for you here at this church. You just come on down, and you just say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. That's all you got to say, and we'll show you what the Bible says about your salvation. Maybe you're struggling with assurance. Ask God right now to take this message and the last two and ingrain it in your mind and heart and ask Him to give you a firm drive and unction to study the Scriptures so you can know of your assurance and His promises. And then your application, you're working yourself, your salvation out. you working it out. So that you can know that you know that you know that you're saved and know the Lord. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.